Hello, listeners. This is Dr. Taylor Hartman with The Very Best of Living. Uh, I'm with my good friend, Kat Larson. Hello, Kat. Hi, Taylor. Good to hear your voice, as always. Thank you. I hope you're coming down a little bit from your trip, but not too much because you know how magical it was. <laughs> yes, a little <laughs> bit, not much. Well, it's so great. And I, I do hope our listeners are thinking about how can we infuse life with energy of the four things we talked about last time, which is so important, my work and my connections, my willingness to learn and my willingness to appreciate those four things. And I love your idea of putting on your mirror and just kind of thinking about where am I at with those things today, mm -hmm. right? And that was uh, the gift of the 106-year-old sisters that shared those are the four things that made a difference in their life. Mm -hmm. So today I want to talk about some of the concerns uh, I've recently run into with listeners who've written in and asked for some help with some ideas. Right. Um, very, very important ones. Um, one, one came from a young guy who is, uh, struggles with being codependent. And uh, for our listeners that may or may not know, that was a very hit kind of uh, word we used uh, dramatically um, maybe 20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. Very popular. The therapists were getting lots of clients that were talking about their codependency. What do they do about it? And as with most things, it has it definitely has some truth to it. There's something there that's worth pursuing and understanding. Codependency has to do with you connect with people in a way that you're unable to disconnect or be independent. So you actually build your life in in terms of a, a relationship that can become too codependent, too needy of each other, and dysfunctional. On the other hand, I mean, obviously, interdependence is the key that you want to mm -hmm. have. Like, you want to have a reason to connect with people and share and use each other in a healthy way. That's what you mm -hmm. want. Mm -hmm. But when it becomes dysfunctional or unhealthy, that's when it's codependency. And that can be very deadly, actually, in relationships. And his problem was that he never could say no. He wanted approval so much that he would always agree to and be with people he didn't really want to be with that were not healthy for him and or stay in a relationship that became unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And he also lost his own sense of direction for himself. So basically what happened when his brother died, he cut everybody off. He just said, I'm done with everybody. I'm mad at the world. And in a very, very hostile way, it was not a really healthy way to have done what he did, but it did free him. Like at the end of the day, what he did really was beneficial. How he did it was not. And he's now on the, the recovery end of that saying, I need to work on how I can not be codependent without being rude or unkind, which is good. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. glad he's seeing that. And obviously, for those he wants to reconnect with, he should go back and simply apologize, tell a story, why he acted the way he did and what he did, and give them clarity, and they can restructure a new relationship. But then he also wants to develop the skill do not re-engage in unhealthy mm -hmm. relationships, right? Right, right. So as I was helping him, Kat, I realized that I, there are two different tools you need in your toolkit to succeed at this. Like okay. he, he got to where he didn't trust people's motives. He was, he was always suspect of everything. And so as a result of that, he was being very uh, negative with people. And then on the other hand, he couldn't actually say no when he should say no uh, to people. So I think people need to learn two things. One, I think it's very important that you believe people's intentions. 
Give them the right to have good intentions. Don't start with the negative. I don't, I don't trust you. That's not healthy. And then be able to distance yourself from people that once you've realized their intentions are not clean, that you free yourself from their grasp. You have to be able to back away from that and not be so dependent that you're now stuck with someone with poor intentions. So let's dissect those two concepts a little bit. Mm-hmm. Typically, people either have, um, they're skeptical of other people's intentions or they're not. Uh, I am very non-skeptical. I am a believer. I'm a truster. Yellows by nature are very willing to believe people to a fault, actually. Mm-hmm. But my saving grace is I don't have a problem disconnecting. I don't need them. I'm very self-sustaining. And when I see it as not in my best interest, I don't allow them entree. I don't. So my problem would be if I was very trusting, but I also couldn't dispatch myself from a relationship. That makes sense? So you you assume positive intent always. Right. Is that what you're saying? Okay. But and when you say I don't need them, can you just unpack that a second? Like when you somebody says I don't need them, talk to me about that. You don't need any of them? No, I don't need someone to be happy with myself. They don't define me. They can't own me by, you know, a lot of people are like, I need them to like me. So I'm going to stay in this relationship because I need to be liked. I don't Mm. need that. Mm. Got it. Um, Got it. Got it. I I don't need to have an entourage or a following or to make me okay with myself. Now, obviously there are wonderful people in the world. I'm going to find people that I want to be with. That's very easy actually. But I see that my point is it's easy for me to disconnect from somebody who's not my best interest. Uh, We recently had a very, very good friend who went off and she was just not healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, So hard for my wife, really painful for my wife because she was very close to her. Mm -hmm. Not hard for me. Not hard. Like, no, you're not legit. You need to work on yourself. Once you get better and you can engage in a legitimate way, I'm fine. Um, But I won't engage you on the terms you're offering right now. I have no problem with that. Have you ever had that where it's been hard for you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Remember okay. when I was like in my early thirties or 30, I think I was, I had to make a decision. Are you going to be liked or respected? Which are you mm-hmm. going to choose? And it was hard. I chose being respected, not being liked. And boy, was it hard to actually have those moments when I really wanted them to like me yeah. and I chose respect, but it's really paid off in huge dividends because today people can't own me because I need them to like me. It's okay if they don't like me. Like, that's not the end of the world to me. I can see that. And so, therefore, because I don't need that, if mm-hmm. somebody has dirty motives and they're clouding my life or crowding my life, I can dismiss that. Does that make sense? Do you tell people this? Like, if if you have said, no, I don't want a part of this, are you always, do you always tell them your truth? Um, most often, I will let them know. I, okay. Because they're going to ask. They're going to want a connection and I'm, an, I'm not offering anymore. I'll gotcha. tell them when, what happened and what I saw. And and I, I offer them some ideas on what they might want to do to improve that if they're interested. Um, mm-hmm. Other times, if it's someone who's less significant in my life, no, I just kind of pull away. I'm just not there. I'm not available as much. It's not even that big a deal because we weren't that connected. Gotcha. But if there's someone that I'm connected with, I almost always have to say what the reason is. Um, and it's very painful when I actually say to somebody, I don't want you in my life. Um, that's a tough one. but. I find that it frees me from people who have illegitimate motives. 
and it offers me room and space for people who do. So other people have other issues. Like their issue is not, they can say, uh, I want to dismiss you from my life, but they don't trust people. So they're very right. negative. They don't have right. relationships very often. I had a woman recently come to me and say to her husband in our session, I'm tired of you not liking anyone. Like it's not, it doesn't work for me that you always find a flaw with every friend we find and dismiss them. I'm tired of that. Hmm. I want people to feel welcome and part of who we are. Isn't that interesting? And she was right. And he admitted that he really does always look for some reason why he can dispatch them from the friendship. And well, it, sure. And it affects her, right? Because now he's stuck only with her, not with them, not with other people. And she can't go out with them as easily either. No, and it's easy to do that with people because, you know, it's like you when you're protecting yourself, it's easy to right. say, it's easy to find a fault with anybody. It's anybody. Such a good word. When you said self-protection, oh my gosh, listeners, if you're self-protecting, you are guarding yourself against the joy of life. Right. You're missing any possibility of connecting because you're so busy protecting yourself. And that's not healthy. You're letting the whole world own you, as a matter of fact, because you're staying in your own bubble to protect yourself from other people that you don't trust or you don't mm -hmm. have to deal with, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't lead for a very quality of life. It doesn't give much to look forward to, in my mind. So, well, everything turns really, you know, everything is in that, you know, five, six range. You know? Yeah. Everything just evens out and it's like, it's not good. It's not bad. It's average. Like your life right. never feels that. It's beige. It's beige. Well, you know, you know, what's funny about that. That's exactly what clients that I've worked with through the years feel about taking antidepressants. It's so hard because they don't hit the valley so low they want to kill themselves. But they also recognize that by doing that, they can never get to a high. Yes. And one of the biggest reasons people go off antidepressants, even when it's not in their best interest in the moment, is because they want to feel the high. They want to feel the joy, the unencumbered sense of connection. And they can't get that when they're on antidepressants. Mm -hmm. So it's a very it's a tough rule that I see lots and lots of people trying to struggle with. And we who don't take antidepressants are often not very sensitive to the fact that, well, they're they're stuck. Like we tell them to get off, you don't need them, you're fine. Well, that's not true. They may be suicidal. Mm -hmm. They may be so depressed, they, they worry about getting so low. But right. on the other hand, they're also depriving themselves of the joy that life can offer. I had a woman who recently got off of them and she said, I will never go back. I can't go back. I didn't realize what I was missing. And fortunately, she's actually done some very good work over the past time so that she's able to go off and she said i am so joyous today but now i'm now i'm seeing relationships i've been allowing to have gone in my life that i'm i don't want anymore they're not fulfilling they're not exciting i was so beige i was so dull that i didn't even see that so be aware of that that when you choose to actually embrace more of that mm -hmm. own life you have some work to do you when people struggle with depression so this is a clinical question. When people struggle with depression and without taking any medication and you you can learn how to to deal with it, it never goes away, right? I mean, that's right. kind of part of personality. Right, right. It's a grind is what it is. You literally have a grind and some days are better than others, mm -hmm. but you've always got to be forward facing. If you go backward or regret or depression from past choices, it mm -hmm. will... It'll, it'll kill you. 
And certain people carry a very deep angst about choices that they've made, um, opportunities they missed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, can't, they can't seem to move forward and let it go. I have people also, for example, they lose a child. Um, it's so, it's one of the most horrendous things I deal with because they did lose a child. Like mm-hmm. that's the reality. Right. But if they don't choose to go forward and live, then their other children, their spouse, their friends all lose them. They don't get them. And I, it was interesting. I had a very, very rich experience with this woman one time who just could not get over her son uh, taking his life. She could mm-hmm. not get over it. And she had this experience where he said to her, I'm fine, mom. I'm in great hands. You are my problem now because you won't move on. And now I feel horrible regret because you can't free me. That's powerful. Right. And she still struggles. She still has a hard time getting over herself because the guilt and the loss and all that that's going on. And that just breeds more depression is what it does. And, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's not easy to do. I'm not suggesting to people who are depressed, just lighten up, move on. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that you have to make a commitment to live for today, despite mm-hmm. the losses you have. We have a very dear friend who just passed away. She is just a remarkable woman, red, just she quilted a quilt for every one of her grandchildren oh. because she knew she was dying. So rich. And her blue husband is such a great man. I think about him all the time. I called him recently. I said, well, how, how is it? He goes, I don't know that I'll ever be the same. I just miss her so much. And, and I realized that when the funeral's over, we all go on with our lives. Mm-hmm. And those who lose someone don't. Mm-hmm. It, their mm-hmm. life is never the same, right? Yeah. So it's a challenge mental health-wise to actually stay current and stay giving and stay connected despite the fact that you had a loss, a serious yeah. loss. Yeah. And, I, and I recommend to people that they don't give up, they don't give up on themselves. They don't stop and wallow in it, it won't help. Um, you have to find ways to make your life meaningful with the loss. You can't get stuck in it. Yeah, Hard no, that makes do. sense. Yeah, that really? makes sense. So I had a, a couple recently that came, and um, she has discovered life after work, and she <laughs> wants a whole new life. Like She's so excited <laughs> about what it could offer. And her husband is kind of boring and a good man, would never cheat, would never hurt, would never, none of those things. But he is so logic-based, not expressive. He doesn't know how to feel. So as we were talking, it was very, very interesting. He was saying, okay, now I need to put this in a paradigm. I can process it. And it was so, I mean, very clean, so well-spoken, but didn't connect to feeling. So it's like, here's what I should do to love. Hold a hand, say a word, look her way. And, and she's dying. You see her dying thinking, is he ever going to get this? I don't know if he'll ever get it. And it broke my heart. Kat. Honestly, it broke my heart for both of them. The fact that she's willing to commit to try. And the fact that he has no idea how to do this part of life, how to feel as opposed to just logically think it through. And yet, I mean, we ha- we have to hope it's going to happen. So it's my next six months are going to be tied toward trying to see that that shift in perspective on his part while she gives him an opportunity 
to join her. How do you get somebody to to attach feeling and depth to the action? What do you do? What's so hard is that you have to get them. It, they what they want something concrete, mm-hmm. and feelings are not concrete. No. So moving them out of their paradigm, their preferred paradigm, is very tough to do. I'll just ask him to actually experience something in the moment. Write down what he experienced. Feel something in the moment. Say what he experienced. It's very, very hard to get them off of the paradigm of uh, thinking it through. They'll say things like, I feel like, and I'll always say, once you say like, you're not stating a feeling. You're stating a thought. I feel like I'm um, not able to do what I want to do. No, say, I feel trapped. Give me a feeling. When you say like, the minute you say, I feel like, you're giving a thought. So helping somebody move through uh, thoughts to feelings is very difficult for them. Also because they're always self-protective. They don't want to make mistakes. They're fear-based. Those are all things we have to challenge to get him off of that. What color is he? White. He's white. And she's blue. Is that common? It is common. Yeah, whites often struggle with feelings. They do. It's unfortunate because they're so kind very gentle beings and for for them to have to wake up to feelings and play that out very threatening to them very uncomfortable and then the thought of losing your spouse on top of that <sighs> even more deadly. terrifying you know it's funny when you say the word kind of i was thinking about this lately because my mother is very yeah. white personality yeah and and kindness she's very very kind that doesn't necessarily she and i were actually talking about this that doesn't necessarily mean it's easy for them to be empathetic. Kindness does not, not lead to empathy. <laughs> not at all. In fact, I always say blues are compassionate, not kind. And whites are kind, not compassionate. Oh, I've never heard you say that. That's so good. Because they really do have a very different mindset. Like whites are very logic-based. Mm-hmm. And you're right. They are kind, but they are not empathetic. No. Their reaction is, well, just go take care of it or go do what you have to do. <laughs> but, but blues on the other hand can be very judgmental but very compassionate they're the ones who will come back a month later and say how are you doing with that yes so, so you're right there's a big difference there that's true and it's something all of us have to work through like what you and i as yellows have to work through is staying with or being committed to something that this white or blue would never struggle with like they're extremely committed but that's not their path to walk their path to walk is to learn how to be compassionate for one of them and the other one to take ownership for her role and what allowed her to stay in this for so long. Yeah, I have to, it's so good. I was, I was doing a training a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about, you know, how, when you set up, you actually told me this, when you set up and and you start a session and you know, and you, you're kind of yelling at somebody yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And to, to get the reaction from the right. team, right? You're like, hey, can right. you shut up back right. there, please? Right. I'm right. Um, and and usually the whites, you know, so you go around and you talk to people and and this one white gentleman, I said, So what, how'd that make you feel? You know, what happened when I did yeah. that? And he says, Well, I don't trust you. And right. I, and and we had had an earlier conversation, not not exactly what we're talking about today, but around this. And I said, I said, So what we were talking about earlier in your ability to understand where a blue person is coming from is a blue person will never trust you in the same way you're feeling distrust against me when they just kind of, you know, these white personalities look, look at you and, 
And it really, don't. they do kind of have that blank look of, they, they I don't, don't know share. where to, they don't. No. no. And it's hard to trust that. Yes. Because where are you in that? And if you know where yes. you are, why don't you share it, right? Yes. No, that's, that's very true. It's interesting you say that. I, I have a woman that wrote me and it broke my heart again. He's blue. He's had four male relationships, all who have cheated on her in her life. And she is now with a white individual personality um, who is very kind and very accepting. She likes him very much. Her problem is, can I trust him? I don't want to get in the way of trusting him, right? But at the same time, I've been hurt four times. So what's the deal? What do you recommend? And I and I said to her, I'll start by just holding you accountable. Like, I want you to go back and look at your role in those four things. The mm-hmm. people you were with, I don't, I'm not saying what you did caused them to cheat. I'm not saying that at all. Mm-hmm. Their, their betrayal is their betrayal. It's not yours to own. But I want you to think about where the red flags I missed was there something about me that I could work on to, to bring that not to happen again? Mm-hmm. But, so the first thing is, how do you take ownership for your own role and what mm-hmm. may cause that dynamic to happen? By the way, that never gives the excuse for it to happen. But if you want to own your life, you got to start there, right? And then the second thing is, the fact that this woman is so willing to, to reach out and risk because she loves this man, she wants to have a, a relationship which I admire about her. I don't want to sit and be negative the rest of my life because I couldn't trust the four before. Right. But I said, you have to be okay with yourself and trust yourself enough that if you are cheated on again, that's their issue, not yours. You are strong enough within yourself to go forward. It's trusting yourself enough so that when someone betrays you or hurts you, which we're all vulnerable to, to be able to say, that's their issue, not mine. Mm-hmm. That's what's so critical for people to do. And to get back up on your feet and go out there and do that, even after you're smarting and hurting and not trusting, right? Yes. But, oh I, but I tell you that if you don't do that, it's not any different than the person who lost a child. It's the same dynamic. Like, I don't trust again. How can I trust this when what happened to me was so deadly? Or how can I love again when I was hurt so deeply by others before. Again, you have to build within yourself a sense of value, caring about yourself and believing yourself and being strong enough within yourself that you're willing to be betrayed again. You're willing to have another person hurt you in some way mm-hmm. and still stay in the game of life. Yeah. When when you talk about ownership, I'd like you to just talk a little bit about when people get to that ownership that are really, really, that's really powerful. How would you help somebody down that road? What would you say first is, what does it look like, ownership? Well, I would start with what role do you think you played in the mm-hmm. uh, problem and get it out. I want to hear what they have to say. Like, I want to understand what they're thinking. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe they didn't talk to them the right way. Who knows what the reasons are? I don't know. But I want to hear their thinking on it. And then I want to know whether it's good guilt or bad guilt. Uh, bad guilt would be like beating yourself up. Mm-hmm. Um, not And good guilt would be like, I think I really didn't pay attention like I should have to things. I could learn to pay attention better. So you mm-hmm. can turn it into something positive. Then the ownership starts with, and how would you like your life to be? What would you like it to look like or your relationships to look like? Mm-hmm. And what are you doing to allow that to happen, right? And then I'll also ask them, are you willing to free this person 
who has shown their true colors, are you willing to free them from your life? Are you willing not to let them own you the way they have in the past? And they might Mm. say, well, I can't not see them again because we're family or whatever. I say, okay, are you willing to set a boundary that would allow you to engage them and not be vulnerable to being having that done again to you? Mm. That kind of mindset. So you're giving them work to do that would actually enhance the quality of their life and not make them so dependent on other people's behaviors so they can own them. No, that's fantastic. No, I love that. That That's clear. That's so clear. Because people talk about ownership and they're like, I am. And for you right. to put it through the filter that you just said, you know, then you get stuck on number two and it's like, oh yeah, I'm not doing yeah. that. You know, you yeah. Know? <laughs> well, and you know what? It's you're, I'm glad you said that. It's not easy to do. And there are a lot of people who they get defensive. And I'm like, you can defense all you want, but I'm not the one who they own. So right. if you're okay with being owned, then that's fine. But I'm just trying to show you your role in that. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So guess what? We got to quit again. Oh. I'm going to end it again. Again. Listeners, thank you You're for being ending. with us. <laughs> I'm always ending. It's always ending. beginning. <laughs> yes, you're right. We'll start thank again you guys this. for being with us. Kat, always a pleasure. We hope you have a wonderful week, listeners, and make the best of your life. Um, yes. Turning out for now. Thanks, guys. See you next week. We love week. you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Hey, Color Code family, it's Kathy Larson. I want you to take down a number. I want you to put this in your contact list under the people code. The number is 385-526-2350. Again, 385-526-2350. Text the word VIP to that number and you'll get back from us a request for your name and your email. That way we'll be in touch with you on anything that's happening at the People Code, any offerings, exciting things that are coming up, and you can let us know what your needs are by texting us at that number. Look forward to staying connected even more. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.